welcome to the ED Jam. Hey legends, welcome back to the podcast. This week we're talking to a paramedic named Adam and we're going to find out about his story. He's the patient in the story, not the paramedic uh, and that's what he normally does day in day out. We're also going to hear from two other paramedics, Jenny uh, and Harry and they're two intensive care paramedics. You're really going to love this episode. Um, just a little caveat before we start the episode. Um, working in these emergency services, um, we often don't always get the best outcomes for our patients. Um, sometimes we do, and it's amazing, and other times um, we don't, and other times we get patients that don't survive. So I do want to put out there that um, not all of our patients get good outcomes, so it's super important um, to realize that these cases, when they do happen, and we do get good patient outcomes, that we should really celebrate them and really make sure that we um, get excited about them, because they're awesome. Um, we're going to be talking about a cardiac arrest um, algorithm. Um, and just to mention as well that out of hospital cardiac arrest, I think it's roughly around about 10% survival rate. And of that 10%, roughly around um, only 3% um, you know, end up having no neurological deficits. Um, so understanding those figures, it's really important. Um, we're going to get into the episode uh, and let's, let's crack in and hear a little bit more about Adam, uh, Jenny, and Harry. You. So this week we're doing a little bit of a story, um, and we're running through a case that happened, a real case with a real patient who actually um, happens to be an awesome paramedic that we work with um, named Adam. Um, so Adam, thank you for coming on the podcast, dude. Oh, man, thank you for having me and telling the story. And it's kind of not just my story, it's everybody else's story as well. Um, I was just there for the, the show. It's <laughs> the show and a bit of work. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, oh, you're definitely along for the show. Um, what do you do for a job, just quickly? Uh, so I'm a paramedic. Yep. Um, I've been doing this for nearly 15 years and absolutely right. Awesome. Uh, and I've got two other paramedics online as well, Harry and Jen, um, which we're going to get through the case in a second. Um, we're going to talk about, we're going to come back to you in a minute. You are the patient in this story, not the paramedic. I am. That's correct. Yeah. So we'll get back to you in a second. Um, but what we're going to run through is just what happened on the day that you presented the hospital um, and what actually happened from your case. Um, so first of all, what do you remember from the day yourself? Just quickly. So me, I was actually on annual leave. I'd started my second week of three weeks annual leave and yeah. I thought I need to get fit. So yeah. I actually decided to take my boys on a bike ride, just an easy flat one. Yeah. And um, yeah, started uh, trying to get a bike ready and uh, my bike wouldn't work. So maybe that was a hint <laughs> I should have uh, taken until my neighbor gave me his and uh, pumped up both the tires and off we, were, uh, off we went for a, a quick bike ride. Okay. Yeah. How long was your bike ride? Uh, I think it was only about sort of five to six K. So it yep. wasn't a, a long one, yep. um, but uh, I just knew I had to get fit. That was the start of me getting fit. Yep. Maybe that was the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. For everyone out there, exercise is good for <laughs> exercise you. Exercise is good. <laughs> just don't push it too hard <laughs> to start. I love it, dude. It's one of those things that it's like, don't go too hard too early. Um, so you're exercising. Yep. No worries. And you decide to go out there on the bike and do it. Yeah. So... Yeah. Basically, uh, I'd gone for the ride and uh, my son, thanks, mate, um, said he knew a shortcut on the way home. Yep. And uh, we um, we took that shortcut on the way back. It was just a, a short hill which led up to the end of my street and uh, which is now known as Heart Attack Hill. By my <laughs> um, I pushed myself probably to 110% to, one, to get up to the top, yeah. but two, to probably beat my son up to the top, there you go. Uh, which I didn't. Um, and when I got home, I just felt really lightheaded, really faint, um, mm. dizzy. Um, my other son had gone the other way. And so I was waiting out the front for him to come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just, he hadn't come back for a while. And I'm like, maybe I can go for a ride and find him. And I went, no, I don't think I can go anywhere. Mm. Um, so I took myself inside, said to my wife, I need to lay down because I wasn't feeling well. Okay. Um, she started to laugh at me and went, you're just an unfit middle-aged man. And I said, well, I know I am and I need to go and lie down now. <laughs> um, after a short time, maybe 10, 15 minutes, I started to feel really sick um, and started vomiting. Yep. And this wasn't just a normal 
sort of vomit that you have. This was coming from my boots okay. and probably vomited up to sort of eight to 10 times okay. uh, over the next sort of 40 minutes. Uh, and each time just got progressively got worse and worse until mm. um, I knew something wasn't quite right okay. that was going on. And we'll get back to that in a yeah, minute. Exactly. So just so we can paint a picture, you're yep. vomiting, you've been riding, you feel unwell, yep. you've had multiple vomits. Correct. You're at home and you're laying down, which isn't normal for you. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, now, on on a side note, um, Jen and Harry, you guys are working together. Yes. Is that a common theme? Um, well, it was at the time. I haven't worked with Harry since, but yeah, I was training Harry um, for, through his intensive care. And so, yeah, we, we're working together. I'm not sure how long into the training period it was, but probably for a couple of months by that stage. So we were knew how each other worked really well by that stage, which was nice that you've got a partner that you know um, what they yeah. expect and what you do, what you want to do, which is good. Awesome, um, Harry Hairflick, legend over there. Um, <laughs> you're, you're in the you're in the car. When did you get the call? Like you normally just for people out there, what happens as a paramedic in terms of getting jobs assigned to you? Yeah, I suppose it's just really how busy we are, we are on the day. And like some days we'll just be um, out in the car all day and being called over the radio. But this particular day, it wasn't it wasn't too busy. So we were sitting at station, um, just cracking through some stuff on the computer. Uh, and yeah, we got a call and they, they had actually had already kind of um, worked out that it was Adam and that he was a paramedic for, uh, for us and, and whatnot. So they kind of let us know on the, the air, uh, sorry, let us know over the phone. And they said, yeah, we're going to send you a second car, which sort of is, doesn't really happen. Um, that's not kind of regular practice, but it was really handy just to have another car on, like, to know there's another car coming as well. Um, so yeah, and then we kind of headed out there, um, bit of a drive, probably what, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Um, yeah. Cool. And then, yeah, got to Adam's house. Okay. So you're driving there. Um, you, do you and Jen have a chat in the car about, Anything in particular on the way to that job? Yeah, I remember Jen um, asked me if, she, if I'd ever treated another paramedic and I was like, no, I don't think I have. Um, and then we kind of just had a conversation about, yeah, like it's, you know, it's most times it's going to be pretty serious if it's one of our own kind of calling. And yeah, it's not something we kind of take um, lightly, I suppose. How about for you, Jen? Have you ever treated um, a fellow colleague as a paramedic? Um, yeah, I have. Probably a few months before that, we had an, another colleague who was quite unwell, um, so with another medical issue. So that was quite confronting as well um, for that. So I had, but um, mostly it's just you don't usually see your colleagues or your friends, I suppose, in, in medical situations. So it's it's very different from your normal patient who you don't really have that connection to apart from in a professional setting you've got that personal connection so it's, it's it, it can be quite confronting so trying to be as prepared as you can before you turn up at their doorstep is um i suppose it's that normal chat in the car makes things a little bit easier when you rock up so yeah what do you chat like i'm not a paramedic so i'm you know nursing and i'm in my environment the whole time do, do you like um run through your book and open your drugs up or do you just try and say oh you know, if someone's treating, you're driving, or do you have a little plan of attack before you get to a job if you've got time like that? Yeah, too? usually we have, like, when we are going to a job, you get some brief notes on down on our computer, mm. um, and usually you can get a, a picture of what's actually happening on scene, but you also don't want to be blindsided by that when you turn up and it's it's completely different. So I always have, like, a thought process in my head that we're going to treat for plan A and have mm. a bit of discussion about what we expect to find. And then what if there's a plan B and a plan C, so if something's completely different. So you sort of um, make sure that you, you have a, a brief idea of what, what you're going to be doing, but also people, everyone responds differently to different things. So you, even you could be as um, prepared as you, you want to, but things may not go to plan anyway. So, um, well, we knew Adam, we were going to Adam with old chest pain, so that's what we we're going to. So... We sort of had a quick run through. We weren't mucking around because we knew that if um, he was calling, he's going to be unwell. Yeah. Um, so we let's let's get in, get make sure you're assessing properly, and if if this is the one, where um let's get out the door as quick as we can. That was sort of um, what we were discussing on the way, and I can tell you that I that car I was driving pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you ride pretty fast, Jen. I wouldn't put it past you driving a car either. Uh, 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 yeah, we um, 
we had a fr- like a freeway. We um we did overtake quite a few cars on the way. Oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. I do promote driving fast for certain situations, and that's one of them. Yeah. Um, so it was it was safe. I wasn't being unsafe. No, not at all. Who cares? Um, so you t- you turn up to Adam's house. Run me through just so we can paint a picture. You rock up, um, you know, in the driveway or whatever. You walk into the house. What do you notice? Well, first thing I noticed was Mackenzie's off to the um off to the right hand side, and obviously his family, Adam's family's there. Yeah. And then of course we noticed the steep staircase off to the left. <laughs> of course, Adam was at the top of those stairs, wasn't he? <laughs> you can blame my wife for that one. <laughs> she did tell yeah. me part way through. She goes, so was- go upstairs and vomit upstairs because you're scaring the children downstairs. <laughs> That's how bad I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? You know, the amount, if I had a dollar for every time, we'd be complaining about patients going to the top of their, you know, the, the highest floor up, and, and then we still can't manage to get it right as a paramedic. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I, I just remember we kind of got there, and the kids are kind of running around, and um, Adam's wife was there as well, incredibly calm somehow. Um, you know, never, never a, a, a normal situation calling an ambulance for your, your partner, and then. Yeah, just being so calm and it was great. And then so we went up and saw Adam and, um, yeah, sure enough, wasn't too feeling too well and didn't, you know, pale as a ghost, a bit sweaty. We're kind of looking around like, oh, okay, this is, yeah, it's going to be serious. And, yeah, so then I guess, I guess we just start asking the basic questions. It's, you know, it's an easy history to take when someone knows how to answer the questions perfectly. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. yeah. Cool. So you 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 um you've got all your gear with you, um Harry. You've got your bag and you've got your ECG and your, your defib and stuff. Um, all yeah. your equipment that you need. You look at him. He looks pale. He looks a bit off, as you said before. Um, what are you thinking in your head? Yeah, I, I guess straight away we're thinking, okay, this is it's probably going to be a um semi or an inclusive myocardial infarction, and and we're thinking, you know, let's just get um get some aspirin in, and we'll um and get an ecg just to confirm it and then just get on the way i think we kind of knew that they were the priorities um thankfully we still had that second car i think they were like almost on scene um so yeah popped an ecg on popped out um with saying that it was a semi it's quite an obvious one um and then jenny went down to the car and got um like a stair chair kind of thing just so we didn't have to walk adam down the stairs always less than ideal having to walk someone um And then I think that was pretty much by the time she'd come back up with the chair, it was when the second crew got there, which was kind of like perfect, impeccable timing um, yeah. to have some extra hands to sort of, yeah, make our way down the stairs. Oh, I was going to say, one thing I remember, so Harry's put the ECG dots on, but I had the monitor facing me sort of at that point. We, we had it facing away from Adam and he asked me, oh, how does it look? I'm just looking at this monitor <laughs> going, oh, that's not the best one I've ever seen. <laughs> so... <laughs> some quite obvious um inferior elevation happened on that ecg so Love yeah it. straight straight away from the start we knew it was um it was a big one and um mm. yeah pretty much from that from that point leaving the house it was as quick and as streamlined as we could get it <laughs> all through this adam's still smiling away cracking jokes <laughs> the most <laughs> larrikin patient we've ever had yeah <laughs> And then just before we moved, I remember I was trying, I, I don't know if, it, Adam, have you already had the aspirin before we got there or did we give you? No, you, you give me aspirin. I didn't have any aspirin okay. for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I just remember standing Why would you need aspirin? It's like, in your 40s. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I've got some now. <laughs> good. Very good. <laughs> so, like, trying to pop in a cannula before we get moving. I'm, like, standing over Adam's arm, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is not the one you want to miss, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> it's funny because a few years ago when I was a, a trainee paramedic, Adam was actually one of my training officers, you know, showed me how to cannulate, and here I am, you know, trying not to bung it up on his own arm. So good, so good. <laughs> and you got it, mate. You got it. <laughs> Absolute fluke. <laughs> First time. <laughs> you don't you notice how I um, promptly left the room at that time? <laughs> <laughs> I um I like what you did there too, Jen. Just in relation to that, um, being honest with your patient, you know, like I, I and even though it's your, your friend, like you know, actually doesn't look good. You know, I think that's a 
uh, just interesting, you know, I, I like that sort of style of approach. And you're someone that doesn't uh, piss in someone's pocket. Like you're pretty straight down the line, which I like about you as a clinician. So that's good. Mm. Well, thank I remember you. my wife was, she was in the room as well at the time. And I remember the monitor was at my feet and I looked at Jen, I said, how does it look? And she's like, yeah, not good. <laughs> and then when the 12 leads spat out, I said, is it? And she's like, yeah, it is. And my wife, I remember her looking at me going, is it what? Can you guys just like stop talking in code and tell me what's happening? And I'm like, um, yeah, I'm having a heart attack. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. And thankfully, before she'd rung AAA, she'd actually rung her mum, which I was scolding her for. What would you do that for? We don't need your mum to come over. But thankfully, she stayed with the kids and I was able to come to the hospital. So it sort of all worked out uh, in that regard. But yeah, she is very cool, very calm. and. yeah, she's she's awesome. Mm, that's good, eh? Yeah. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, other observations, guys. You 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 know, check a blood pressure and a pulse. Um, how are they looking from just from your memory? With yeah, my um, pulse was sitting around fifty to sixty. Blood pressure, I think, it was around the one twenty yeah, on eighty. It's pretty textbook. Um, yeah, so maybe one ten. Yeah, good. Ah. We held off on the GTN. At I was that gonna, point too. That's yeah. what I was getting at. I was saying, did we give GTN, and what was your thought process behind that? Um, I think, given that, yeah, I think the the, the blood pressure was kind of labelled the, the heart rate with that inferior semi. I yeah. guess it's kind of you know you think of the right side of infarct and um, the sort of outcome data on GTN anyway. I think that probably yeah it was what led us mostly to kind of hold off. But um, yeah, good. yeah. I also like to because we we send through that ECG straight to the cardiologist, and as with when we run through with that, I always just like to say, look, I'm, I've held GTN, are you okay with that? Yeah. And just to get that cardiologist to double, like say, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. So, mm. um, yeah, that, it, we do have that little lifeline in the back there too. That's awesome. I like that. So, Jen, um, when someone comes in that it's meeting STEMI criteria from you as a paramedic, uh, what do you do generally as a clinician? Um, so uh, hopefully the Ashman's already in there if they're complaining of chest pain. Yep. Um, we're going to try and get that ECG sent off to the cardiologist ASAP. Um, yep. want to, I want to get a line in quickly and then depending on, on where the infarct is, yep. like whether or not we we give GTN or not, as I said, my sort of practice is I, I just like usually the cardiologist is calling you within a couple of minutes of you, of you sending the ECG through to them. So just run it by them, just give them that brief history and let them know that you've, what you've done. Um, and then also, depending on how distressed they are with pain, a bit of morphine doesn't go astray either. So I don't think, Adam, you didn't get morphine, did you? Or did we? No, we no, nice you, you, we? you ripped me off. You didn't give me anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. No, I remember, um, just to backtrack a little bit, I actually didn't have too much chest pain. Yeah. Um, like chest pain only came yeah. right at the end. Uh, so I, I had the vomiting. I was really cold in my extremities. Mm. Um, I didn't have... Um, it was mm-hmm. right towards the end that I had this little thumbprint of pressure just in mm-hmm. my sternum area. And that's when I went, no, nah, this is not right. I, we need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I said to my wife, call Triple O. I was going to say, are you pain. sure that was before or after? <laughs> <laughs> so tell them it's <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. And so that's that's how the Triple O call was, ended up being made. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I remember at that time I was actually my daughter had painted my fingernails whilst I was vomiting, so I was <laughs> I was badly trying to take the, the nail polish off before the ambulance arrived. If Jen says um, the nail polish, I'm in trouble. I'm like, they're gonna want to put pulse socks on these fingers, and it's not gonna work. Um, you could have taken the heels off as well. We were in your room. So yeah, talking about pain, there wasn't any real pain like as such there was they offered me morphine we joked about ketamine um <laughs> but there was there was no real need for it because there, there wasn't any pain yeah um i just had the cold extremities and the vomiting which yep. was yeah so yeah yeah um adam's down the stairs at this stage guys um by this stage yeah, that was what, thanks to Harry and was it Cal or Scott who carried you? I think I got out of that one too. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Cal was on the, the chair, but huge shout out to Cal and to, to Scott. Um, I finally got his name okay. right. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you to those guys too. So they get you down the stairs um, and then put into the IC car. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, at that stage, you're a GCS 15 awake. 
yeah talking as about, harry yeah. said we were we were joking about everything you yep. know it was i had no real pain i knew what was going on yep. the guys were all over it um uh, i was before the ambulance arrived my yep. wife said she's never seen me as anxious as what okay. i was yeah and that's just not me yep. um and as soon as they arrived that anxiety just left and because i knew i was in good hands yeah um and so then i was in the ambulance and we were we were joking on the yep. way to the hospital yeah as i said joking about ketamine joking about morphine yep. um yeah cool and then you're driving jen is that right and um harry you're treating the no actually around. we had both of us were in the back we had oh, cool. um scott was driving and yep. then sort of harry was sitting in the treat seat so sort of next to adam and i was yep. sitting behind adam okay um there yeah, so we had two in the back, plus Adam, plus another driver in the oh. car, and then um, Cal was driving Nicole up to hospital okay. as well. And then we did have, well, I think this is after, another one of our colleagues, our boss, came as well. That was on, on route. On route, okay. Run yeah. me through what happened on that drive. All right. Well, the drive, I'll, um, so we're sitting there obviously having a few jokes um how the monitor was positioned on the stretcher like we've got a bridge there so adam's pretty much looking directly at this massive and fury impact on mm. the monitor and you could tell it was making him quite anxious mm. so um so we ended up moving the monitor sort of around behind the back of the stretcher mm. so he couldn't see it i it's pretty much was right in front of where of where i was sitting too so i was pretty much had my eyes glued to this for the journey of the um on the way to hospital mm. and still continued um to have a bit of a like a joke most of the way so we probably got maybe two-thirds of the way to hospital mm -hmm. um before things went a little bit pear-shaped mm. so i'll let harry take over here because he was the one that was actually in a position to be yep. um to see exactly what happened mm. so yeah there I, you go harry so yeah, so I'm sitting there next to Adam, we're chatting away, making jokes. And um, I think after a little while, he, he just said, oh, I feel a little bit lightheaded. I think I'd already asked him the same question about 10 times. I think that kind of showed how nervous even I was at <laughs> this situation. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, he just said, oh, you know, I feel a bit lightheaded. And I thought, okay, well, we'll just, you know, lay down a little bit or, or sit back and try and just, yeah, a few deep breaths kind of thing. Um, and then maybe like 30 seconds or a minute after that, you could just see all the color drain from his face, kind of like eyes roll back. And like I just looked at Jenny and, we, and like it's that that's second where, where the monitor Jack, changes. Can you hit the second, Harry? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that oh, that's what I was going to say. I had my eyes glued to that monitor, and so <laughs> yeah. from about that time that he started, he was um a bit dizzy. Is mm. that I reckon there was about another two millimeters jump of elevation, like bit, like yeah. I could obviously see that on the monitor. And I'm like, oh, hang on a second, what's going on here? Before um before yeah, we right. that color drone out of his face. All right, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Good point. No, that's Back great. Um, yeah, and then so kind of just looked at Jenny and gone like, I don't know, yo, like it's, it's happened, you know, you're <laughs> going here. Um, and then, yeah, so we just quickly, you know, we've both realised, yeah, okay, he's now um, gone into cardiac arrest oh, okay. and he's gone into VF. Um, so just laid him back, moved the monitor that was sort of behind uh, where the bed head lays down, I suppose. Yep. Moved the monitor, laid him back, started compression straight away. Um, that was I you think doing Scott pulled sorry. over at that yeah yeah jump straight onto compressions and like obviously given that you know it's a witness to rest and it's only less than seconds um before on the chest there's some sort of um perfusion still occurring in the brain even in vf um mm. with the compressions going so adam is making a few a uh, few kind of just um like incomprehensible noises and moving his arms that kind of stuff so you know it was quite um i guess distressing for us to see that you know we kind of know what's happened but to think that you know he still has some mentation through all this that's mm. kind of a bit yeah that's a bit daunting mm. and you like this um, the colleague that you work on and you're you know you obviously cracked a couple of ribs and yeah. you straight on his chest yeah um yeah. you went yeah, into yeah, action mode yeah it was a bit like that yeah you know like yeah i feel a couple of ribs break and things like that and you just think you know you you know what the, the process is and how to do it and you just got to keep going and kind of work through your own you know thoughts and we all kind of know about how poor the outcomes for cardiac arrest, even, you know, um, witness cardiac, cardiac arrests are. And just, you know, those kind of things just spin through your head as all this is going, going, um, all this is happening. And um, yeah, so I suppose when we just kind of 
just kept cracking on, got some pads on. Um, uh, Jenny delivered a shock. Mm-hmm. And and then we will kind of, I think, was it after the first shock, Jenny, we got um, like a, a change in the rhythm? I think went back into like a sinus rhythm. I'm not sure because then, we swapped over CPR, so we must, swapped, have, yeah. must have been, yeah. Yeah. So Sorry. our process is always to continue CPR even up straight after a shock, like without a rhythm check. We know how important um, post-shock CPR is and mm-hmm. to get that like added benefit of compressions to assist with coronary perfusion and stuff. So we're still going through quickly swap compressors. Jenny was then on the chest um, and then Adam had a couple of movements and then I think actually started speaking and that's when we were kind of like, oh, okay, I think we've got a, a rust here. Well, yeah. Crazy. So with, um, with that, so when he has arrested us, I don't remember like from where my position was that obviously the monitor was behind his head and we're trying to lay him down and I just think I couldn't move the bloody monitor from the back of the stretch. It was a <laughs> yeah. so, there, there was a few little little mishaps on the way and I think that was just the anxiety of the situation of being someone that we, we know and we care about. Yeah. Um, but sort of once that and then my next, once the, that was out the way, my next, and I do apologise, Adam, and I have before, um, my next step was I just immediately went for a jaw a jaw thrust because yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. It's like, oh, hang on a second. Um, we don't need to do that just yet. <laughs> we didn't have um, – so we did get a, quite a sore jaw from me, so yeah. sorry about that once again. I remember um, that night lying so, in bed thinking, why is my jaw so sore? And I went, well, that was Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, and something that has definitely changed in my practice with Stebby patients since this point was um, we didn't have pads on Adam initially, and I think that was probably got more to do with the fact that he was a colleague. He knew exactly what all that meant. So with this STEMI, we didn't have pads on because I think it would have increased mm. his anxiety levels yes. but did delay us sort of getting that initial shock in probably. I'm not sure what the the breakdown of the um, the code summary is on that, um, the ECG, but sorry, on the, um, the life pack summary, but. Because we didn't have the pads on, there was a little bit of um, sort of delay there getting that initial shock in, but definitely you learn from these things and I suppose that's the beauty of our job. You can always learn something new and definitely regardless if it's a colleague or not, they're going on as soon as I see that um, that elevation on those leads. Mm. So that was, um, yeah, something that I've taken away. I like that, um, I like that style, Jen. That's good. Mm. Can learn something from it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so I think yeah, initial shock. Yeah. Yeah, and then I can't remember what the monitor is, but all I do is remember that we uh, we definitely swapped because um, yeah, I took over compressions after Harry, and that's when we we're going to set up for with get the Lucas on him. So we did miss out on getting um, mechanical CPR. Yeah. And then we sort of was discussing whether or not he might need um, some ketamine for some conscious induced CPR, and then it. Happened not to be. He was actually mm-hmm. conscious, which was the most amazing thing in the world. So, um, and Adam, I remember him sort of trying to start sit up, and then I heard some beautiful words out of his mouth. And if you want to repeat them, Adam, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember waking up and I, I felt Jenny on my chest, and I'm just going, "Hang on, but we only do that to patients that have had a." Oh crap! We're up to that point, and then I think I—I I, I don't even remember exact words, but it was like, "Thanks, Jenny. I think you can stop now." <laughs> Something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's pretty much spot on. He's like, "Yeah, you, you can you can stop that now." I'm like, "Oh my god! I, absolutely, I will stop that now." So, oh. But yeah, the best feeling best feeling. Yeah, you don't um these you know you've been to a lot of cases like this and you've been on the other side where this process continues for a long period of time. We shock, we do CPR, we shock, we give adrenaline, we shock or we don't shock and then we don't have good outcomes. Um, but this is all happening before you even got to hospital, which is quite interesting. Yeah, so this this happened, we're sort of, um, yeah, put over on the side of the road. Another thing to make mention here is that Adam's poor wife would have seen, uh, like, so obviously um, the car that she in, Usually the, the other car follows up behind for some reason. The car that she was in which was in front of us. So mm-hmm. when this has all happened, that, that car sort of had to do a U-turn and come back. So she actually would have seen us um, through the window, so um, doing CPR, which would be 
quite confronting, mm. especially when you, you're not sure what's happening in that car. So, um, yeah, as I said, we don't have great outcomes a lot of the time. So it, it happens, but it's um, it's not common and especially sit to the point where they're sitting up telling you to get off their chest and they're, they're that alert and they're, they're back to their normal their normal self, um, being able to tell you to stop. It's it, that's it's he's a very very lucky man. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I remember Nicole, she she heard the code um, the code over the radio, and she just looked at Cal who was driving her, and she goes, "That's Adam, isn't it?" And he goes, "Yep." And then he quickly hooked a U-turn and came back. And he said, "By the time we got back around uh, to where we were, Nicole said she could see the ambulance jumping up and down, and she's like." I know exactly what's going on in there. And mm. I think she had enough time to make one quick phone call and then she heard, you know, that I had a ROSC. So, um, and then I think my boss, our boss had jumped into the car with her and then started driving again. So it all happened very quick in her point of view. But um, yeah, she had a couple of minutes of, oh crap. Yeah. And yeah, then it was all settled after that. Mm. Mm quick thinking from, um, you know, Harry and Jenny just to, you know, do something that we do, but I think to do it quickly and to um, work cohesively as a two unit, sometimes we forget like in an ambulance, it's just, you know, you guys, um, they come to hospital sometimes and there's a cast of a thousands, but you guys, um, I've, and I've seen, um, you guys run through it, where we run through an algorithm called Coach, which you guys do so well. And I really want to advocate just that I really think paramedics, run coach algorithms so clearly concisely and um whenever I, I love watching you guys do it even just before you know you, you hand over a patient it's always um always so smooth um from my point of view anyway even if there is a monitor behind the back of the bed you guys always manage to sort it out <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get to hospital um you know you get Rosk, you ask Jen, you know, can you please stop doing what you're doing, even though you saved my life? Stop doing it, Jen. <laughs> stop doing what you're doing. Uh, or Harry, you know, um, and you guys are following kind of a Rosk algorithm and you're going to hospital. Um, are you thinking that this can happen again on your, you know, as you're minutes away from the hospital? But I suppose from that point of view, everything was already in place. You had pads. Um, pads on, you already had IV access. We, um, I think at that point we already had adrenaline drawn up because um, Scott got out of the car and he was he did drawn up adrenaline. So um, we were definitely more prepared for if it, he was to re-arrest um, just to continue the process. So everything was drawn up, ready to go. Uh, so well, I'm very grateful that he didn't. Yep. But, um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a, a high possibility to re-arrest after that initial ROSC. Yep. So. yeah cool um so you come into the hospital um you've got you know you're going to go across to i guess depending on where what hospitals you go to some of them have cath labs open which are amazing little i say drive through maccas sometimes you drive through emergency and then you head towards the uh place that's actually going to do um you know the the treatment that we need for, for adam um how are you feeling are you a bit shaken up from as a cl clinical point of view harry as a clinician like how are you feeling oh. yeah 100 percent. i suppose you know part of you is worried that it's he's going to re-arrest and and part of you is thinking you know what's our next plan of action but there's also just this kind of feeling of like what has just happened you know like he's just died for a couple of minutes and he's now you know he's talking to us he's cracking jokes he's laughing like it's just this overwhelming feeling of like what like what is going on right now you know like yeah um, and, and obviously being really happy about that. But yeah, so I suppose as you're trying to think, you know, what's our next step and, and um, you know, what could happen? You're, there's also that kind of, that, you know, it's, it's a good, it's an amazing thing to happen when it happens to any patient, let alone someone, you know, and, you know, you know really well. And yeah. Actually, I was going to say, Harry, that you've been to a fair few big jobs. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know, even as a paramedic, there's been heaps of times when I've seen your face pop up and there's been some scary jobs. Um, and some of them always haven't had the best outcomes. Um, yeah, I just remember even just a few you had last year, I was like, bloody hell, like Harry went to that job again. Um, yeah, anyway, I was just quite interested in that. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a couple of nicknames yeah. on the journey there, mate. Yeah, and that's it. No, <laughs> that's that's it okay. yeah. What was one of your nicknames, Harry? 
Uh, the Black Cloud. That was actually the initial one. The Black Cloud, yeah. On my first day working, um, on my first day, I, I had a patient around, my first job actually, a patient, a young, a youngish patient arrested on us. So, um, yeah, and then I got Black Cloud. Black Cloud. Oh, I just, so, <laughs> you, you can't be in this job without a, a bit of humour, hey? Like, if you can't do it if you don't have a, a laugh. Like, the Black Cloud. Bloody hell. <laughs> Yeah, and how did, you, how did you go working with the Black Cloud, mate? Like, you got to work with the Black Cloud. Like, well, we just had some pretty, pretty good outcomes for Black Cloud. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> your cloud has a bit of partying, a bit of sunshine, mate. Look at this job. That's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe I bought a bit of sunshine to the kitchen because we had some yeah. good jobs. Yeah, Jen, you're the sunshine. The light, yeah, just cleared it up a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit like Sydney, rainy one minute, sunny the next. I was going to say, talking about 2021, I had some real good outcomes with cardiac arrest patients. So maybe maybe last year was my sunshine year. Let's hope it continues. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so, yeah, we get we get the hospital. I, I love how Jen, you were sort of adding in there about the family because I think sometimes as clinicians we forget that the family is seeing what we're doing the whole time um, and they're seeing and, you know, what we're doing when we're the car's jumping up and down or when we're, you know, doing things or when things are stopping, the ambulance pulls over. There's someone watching the whole thing. Yeah, very, very confronting for families because they, they've got most of the time, most of it, they don't have any medical knowledge and are completely, they've got no idea what's happening or what to expect or, and it's really like they don't probably only ever see it on on TV and it's, and it's very different um, but looking at or uh, trying to um, comprehend uh, cardiac arrest if you if you're seeing in first person especially if it's your your, your husband or your, your father or um yeah very very confronting so we you've got a lot to consider for what the patient actually needs that at that moment but you also have got people around you that need information so mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really challenging to try and address all those things when at that moment your patient um needs most of your attention but you have to find a way to sort of divert your attention to them a little bit so that they've at least got some amount of information so they can process what's happening and be prepared for the next step as well mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's really important that you you have to engage the family members that are around you as much as you can and if there's more people on scene you can give somebody that that job that's their job to um, go and correspond with the family but when you when it happens when it's just two of you or or three or like not the, all the people that you did that you sort of need on that case like mm. you you've sort of your bucket's full you've got to but you've got to find a way to let them know what's going on and sometimes that's the hardest part of like a cardiac arrest especially at home is dealing with the family members like we get trained how to do compressions we get trained how to put needles in and drugs and whatever we don't get a lot of training on how to talk to a loved one and say this is what's happening to yeah. their loved one. Uh, and so that is one of the hardest things of the job, uh, I think. Sometimes you just need to be able to say, look, I'm really sorry. I said things aren't things aren't great right now, but I'm going to get back to you. But right now I just need to focus all my attention here. And I think as long as you've got some line of communication open with the family, they, they are usually um, accepted to that and... They, they can see that you need to, you've got things you need to do right now and, and the rest of that can come a little bit after. I really love Jen's approach to this in relation to the family. So often as a clinician, we focus on the patient, but forget sometimes that the family need to be included in the process. I love how Jen brought this back and included the patient. It made me think about the competing interests of a paramedic. Um, and that, you know, when they're treating patients, often it's in the family home or often it's in the place where the patient lives. Uh, there could be, you know, little kids in the house. There could be dogs. There could be, you know, grandparents. Uh, and the competing interests of the paramedic to not only do their job well, but to do it at the same time and communicate with the family as well. Um, imagine turning up to a footy game with 50, 60, 100 people Um, and trying to do a job like resuscitate somebody. Uh, And I know that Jenny and Harry and Adam have had to do that. It just made me realise and just appreciate how awesome the job is of a paramedic um, and how amazing they are as people. 
Yeah, so I was the only bit of the trip I missed was the two and a half to three minutes that I was down for. Yeah. Um, the rest of it I can remember <laughs> as clear as day. Um, you can be forgiven for falling asleep. Yeah, how dare you fall asleep and have a cardiac arrest, Adam? I just had a little. Um, we burn a few calories in that time, don't you worry. Talk about it. <laughs> so good. I do remember getting to the cath lab and by that stage I'd had a lot of my clothes chopped off. Um, so Harry? Was, uh, yes, Harry had apologized <laughs> for cracking my ribs. I remember was, okay, Harry apologised for cracking my ribs and I'm like, mate, I think that's the least of my problems right now. Uh, but nine months <laughs> in, it, uh, it's still sore, so thank you for that. Um, but I do remember going to the room where it was just freezing cold. I remember there was a bunch of people running around I remember the the head doctors, and I think this is important as clinicians to be careful what we say, not to the patient, but around the patient. Because I remember lying there, there's people flapping around. There was sort of one person in my ear talking to me. Um, and I remember the, the cardiologist at the time going, carefully, he's already arrested once. He could quite easily arrest again. And until that point, I hadn't even thought about that. Mm. Um, I probably just hadn't let it enter my brain again. Um, but it was like, oh, yeah, hang on. <laughs> we might be going for round two. I'm like, hopefully it all works out. So, as I said, I remember him chopped all my clothes off. They were trying to shave every part of my body. Um, and the nurse is like, oh, are you right? Are you cold? Is it sore? And I went, no, I, I'm really, you know, ticklish because you're trying to shave my Netherlands and, and I'm not normally used to that. And besides, you've got a little washcloth covering my groin and that's it. And she's like, oh, oh, sorry. And I said, and besides, all my colleagues are standing behind that glass over there watching everything. And she goes, I'll get you a warm blanket. And I went, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Gold. That's it. We didn't see anything, Adam. Yes, no, I do remember him. Um, they prepared my wrist and my groin for the, the NGO, and I was sort of hoping they went through my wrist because I'd seen complications with the groin, and you know, that's just with my mum and dad. Yeah. Um, and mum had had uh, some complications, so I'm like, please do the wrist, please do the wrist. And he goes, I think we're going through the wrist. I went, that's a great idea, thank you. <laughs> Um, and was, yeah, he, he was great. Like he, once he started doing the, the procedure, he talked me through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just, just talked through everything he was doing. Um, and it got to the point where there was just the one block, which was a hundred percent in the uh, right coronary artery. Yeah. Um, and he said, he looked at the rest of the heart and the, the rest of the heart actually looked um, great. So uh, he made a comment that he goes, if you had to come yesterday and we did this yesterday, he goes, I dare say we probably wouldn't have found anything. Mm. And he goes, so that was sort of a shock to me, but also uh, a reality check that just that mm, one yeah. little bike ride has was enough to either cause some plaque to break off or cause some plaque to rupture. Uh, and then the clot has formed quite quickly around mm. that. So, yeah, how okay. a normal sort of, I won't say fit, but fairly healthy person can go from you know zero to one hundred percent in a, in a very short amount of time. So it's something to keep in mind as clinicians as well. Ride moderately fast. <laughs> yeah, just exercise moderately. <laughs> in moderation. I should take it a bit slower. Yes. Yeah. So just the one stent um, in the right coronary artery, and that was enough to to mm. free everything up. And um, he just looked. He goes, "Okay, I'll see you back here when you turn 90. I was like, okay, hopefully not before. <laughs> um, and he said, looking at the rest of your heart, he goes, I don't see why. He goes, you might have to change a few things diet-wise. Yeah. And he goes, you'll have to become the healthiest man in the in the area. Yeah. Um, he goes, but I think you can do it. Yeah, well, wow. yeah, okay. So I took that challenge and I've changed a few things. Yeah, yeah. I was laughing. <laughs> at, laughing about a present you got, which was a, a couple of donuts. Um, oh, yes. when you were just, which I loved from. <laughs> Yes, one of my colleagues sent a box of donuts and lollies and everything. I sent a picture. I said, I don't think this quite fits my new uh, my new diet. And she goes, it's not for you, it's for your kids. <laughs> I said, well, the kids love it. So thank you. <laughs> so good. I love it. Um, crazy. Um, I guess a few learning points that I wanted um, to run through, um, which was one of those ones which we talked about. Um, amazing that, you know, obviously, Adam, like the, you know, the, we know the outcomes from Cardiacrest and they, they, they're crazy. The fact yeah. that you were in a car with two highly trained paramedics to do their job, which yeah. was exceptional. 
um, and that they saved your life. And, you know, sometimes we can go, you sort of said that sometimes you play it down. Yeah, look, uh, and, and I don't mean to sound flippant, but, you know, as paramedics, we have a bizarre sense of humour and hence all the joking through this through this um, podcast and you know on or even on the day we were joking about a few things but that's kind of a coping mechanism for us yeah. uh, and we we need that it's yeah. a little bit of dark humor that helps us get through the you know the crap that we see yeah. on a daily basis um so it is it's something that we use it's something that we all understand um and it's something that other people may not understand yeah. so um, sorry if we do sound flippant and <laughs> sorry if we do sound uh, insensitive but we we understand that you know in out of hospital cardiac arrest it's not a good outcome for 97 percent of people yeah. um, and i just happen to be one of the lucky ones yeah it's crazy yeah um how about you guys like i guess for harry you know what did you take out of the job mate as a clinician what did you learn from it um, what advice, yeah, did you sort of, you know, did you guys deep, or actually, first of all, did you debrief when you're walking back out of that cath lab, Jen and Harry, yourself? Um, we did. So I think we got, uh, called over to, we got called over to the station and there was a couple of um, people that weren't there, that sort of um, some managers, when we sat down and had like a, a, a debrief. Mm. But, like, a lot of people since have said, oh, my goodness, that must have been a really hard job um, and it must have been, like, horrible. But as I don't really see it that way. Um, like definitely extremely stressful in the moment, but it's pretty much a career highlight. Like how many times can you say that my colleague is, as um, he had a cardiac arrest and he's now walking, talking, he's got years to spend with his family. So it could have been the most horrendous job of my career, but it's turned out to be uh, the best one so far because I've got a mate that's able to go home to his family that like, we can still have jokes on station it's it's been it's fantastic um with the debrief like we i think those things are put in uh, as a formal plate um it's a bit a formality after any type of big job but as i said i didn't really feel like it was that traumatic job that i needed that debrief at that time and i suppose just having the odd chat and running through the story with with your mates obviously it was with adam's permission as well that sort of that's your debrief um, and I think that's where I find the most benefit of that, that type of scenario as well. How about for you, Harry? Yeah, I like 100% agree with that. And yeah, as you say, like the, the amount of people that came up to us was like, oh, I can't believe you went to that. And, you know, it must have been so difficult. But yeah, as Jenny said, like it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure and a highlight, you know, terrible situation, but such a good outcome. Um, I remember one of the other paramedics um, on the job was um, Scott, who was in the second car that arrived. And like, he's been in the job for years and years, very experienced. And um, like, when we went back to the station, he's almost skipping around. Like, he's like, sign me up for another 10 years. He's overjoyed, but you know, it's just the, the most insane <laughs> sort of outcome. And he's just, you know, it was, I think that really just sort of stuck in my mind. Like, wow, you know, it is a big deal for someone that's probably seen it all um, to be this happy about, you know, such a good outcome. So, yeah. I like it, eh? Celebrate the wins, eh? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, that's it. What, as a paramedic, I guess is a, a bit of an off-topic question, but what's some of the best advice and worst advice you've received? Um, I know it's a little bit of a random one, but, you know, you guys do such a, a crazy job and I don't think people realise what, oh, to the extent of what you do. Yeah, I suppose the, one of the biggest things is, you know, you put all your attention um, in, in the patient when you have them. You know, we're, we're really lucky when you, you talk about like nurse ratios and things like that we've got kind of the backwards nurse ratio of one patient, two paramedics. So we can kind of give all our attention to that one patient. And I think that's a really, you know, it's a privilege to be able to, to do that. But um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest, you know, piece of advice I could think of that I was given, but um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I enjoy the wins, you know, good yeah. things happen as well as the bad. So yeah, you got to. How about you, Jen? Oh, one of mine would be just to make sure when you are debriefing things that you're debriefing honestly because uh, at the end of big jobs, there's always a lot of, oh, that went really well, that that was great. And some of the times it actually wasn't that great mm -hmm. and it, it's okay that it wasn't and you, you might have made a little mistake or you could have done something a little bit better. Um, and unless you actually acknowledge that, you're not going to learn from it and you're going to do the exact same thing again next time. So it's okay to say, oh, actually, I wasn't so happy with how I performed in this part, but I'm going to learn from that. And next time I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to try it this way. And 
and hopefully we're going to get to a, an outcome quicker, a positive outcome, um, quicker than, than that way. It may never be a positive outcome, but it's it will be a better way. I just think that's we do a lot of um, saying that was really great when sometimes it actually wasn't so great, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you just need to be able to acknowledge and um, self-identify that not everything's perfect and we're only human and you, you if you're honest with yourself like that, you're going to learn a lot. You know, sometimes in a, in a situation, even a cardiac arrest, like what I see and then someone standing only a metre away from me has seen something totally different. Um, and that's yeah. really good to talk about that in that debrief and say, actually, I was really upset because I couldn't get the CO2 monitor in or I was really annoyed because I, and no, I wouldn't have even known, noticed that, you know, I was annoyed because I turned the defib off first and then I got it on and, you know, those sort of things that maybe no one else in the room saw. There's a sort of acknowledgement there with being task focused. Like if you are someone is a meter away, they might have a completely um, different job to you, and so you're mm. focusing on this thing and they're focusing on that. So it's it's yeah, it's going to be quite common for you to have a completely dis- different perspective to that exact same job. So um, absolutely. Do you do? I'm um, just a quick one too, Jen. Do you do you re- do you get to talk to family when cases? Like, I mean, you've been in the job for a while, and you would have had some cases where you've had good outcomes. Do you ever get yeah, um, acknowledgement from that? Just, I just would be interested to know. Not really. This is probably a really hard part of our job. It's it's always nice to try and follow up a little bit, but we we don't actually get that um, that opportunity to meet families and, and find out exactly these um the positive outcomes it's it is you've got to just go with what you've heard at, at when we follow up at rest like at hospital the next day um it would be nice i said there was another job just before christmas a very similar similar age to adam um same thing uh, he's gone out for some exercise trying to get a bit fitter and had an air cardiac arrest too um, this time it happened in front of his teenage children as well. Mm-hmm. But same thing, after a shock, we got Rosk and apparently he's walked out of hospital. So with that, um, I haven't actually gone and seen him again, but definitely like the his mother-in-law's dropped off a beautiful orchid that's sitting in oh, my wow. um, kitchen, which is lovely. So you've just got, you've got to take those little things. And I suppose I, I could turn up to his workplace and say, oh, I just wanted to say, check in how you are. But I also feel that that's probably uninvited is a, a bit of an intrusion and a bit inappropriate as well. So you just you just don't know. If the patient wants to reach out, absolutely media will grab that story and run with it. But from our perspective, it's probably inappropriate for us to reach out because um, that's, I don't know, it's just a bit selfish. You're trying to um, gain that knowledge when you're not really invited into it. So I don't know. It's tricky. This really resonated with me uh, as a clinician, I'm sure paramedics uh, you know doctors and nurses this would resonate with you you know just wanting that follow-up from patients and I guess as paramedics some of them not getting that follow-up um, a bit of a rhetorical question but what do you do in that um, you know what have you done guys in the and girls in the past um, when the book hasn't fully been closed and you don't know what's on the next page or what happened to the patient uh, how do you cope with that um, when you really just want answers um, and when you really want to know what has happened um, that can be really hard because uh, sometimes we want to know the answers or want to know what was the outcome uh, and sometimes we never get to hear about that uh, and we put in so much effort to try and help save people yeah and I think also a learning point for other clinicians out there that work in hospitals is to feed back to paramedics something I love doing is you know, seeing a paramedic the day before and going, oh, hey, can you tell me what happened on that lady's scan or what happened with that x-ray or what happened with that, you know, you got, and I love that. I actually really think that's a really good continuity of care for, for the patient and also to, to close that loop. Because um, sometimes you guys get a job and then bang, bang, the phone's gone off, you're gone and you've got another yeah. job in front of you and that's another, even though it's a one-to-one, you, you've, got, you've got another, or one-to-two, sorry, you've got another job you've got to focus on and revert your attention from the little kid to the, 70-year-old adult, and I think that's something that clinicians should be really mindful of is feeding back to paramedics about what's going on. Yeah, It's nice to sort of close the story with that too, like because we, we've left most of the time the patient before they've had any of that, that those diagnostic tests done, so we're just most of the time going with what our spidey senses think is going on, but we don't have any conclusive evidence to say, yes, it's this, yes, it's that. So mm. that, um, that follow-up with the nurses the next day at hospitals is a really important part of your learning. 
Um, for people out there that are interested in becoming paramedics or wanted to go on this journey, you know, it's a, it's a, I, um, even though I'm not one, but um, I always love to sort of plug that it is a good job and that I also think that it, there's obviously, we, we, we're living in a time now where these jobs are really tough, I think personally, and I think some people don't realise that the last two years have been hell for both paramedics, nurses and doctors you know, in this current climate. Um, mm. But what would be some of your advice for people that still want to do it? They still really want to help people um, and they still know that they're going to be seeing some pretty bad stuff, but that one case can keep them going for the next 10 years, as per Scott said. Um, what's your advice on that one, Jen and Harry? Um, my advice is, like, it's, it's, it's a job like no other. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, it's it's not as great as it, it used to be, but I um, anticipate that that will change. Um, but you could... You could be um, at a childbirth, at a cardiac arrest. You could be um, helping someone with a broken leg and getting their pain managed all in the space of a couple of hours. So it really is a job like no other. Like I definitely think in a, a little bit of worldly experience will cut, bring that to the party because it's going to make um, you a little bit more humble in your role as well. Uh, but it definitely is a great job. Um, just let's get through this COVID pandemic and we can see <laughs> we can see if it's going to be a little bit more um, less relentless, hey? Yeah. How about for you, Harry? Yeah, like it, I completely echo those thoughts. I think it's a great job and, you know, that it has its good and bad days, but overall, you know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty amazing job. Yeah, you enjoy it. And mm. I think um, I always think with you, Harry, and, and Jenny too, and Adam as well, like you guys always have a bit of a smile on your face and I think, even you know Harry might have the hair flick and Jen's got a smile. You could you'd see a mile away. Um, but I think that's something that's important when you you know you go into these people's houses and you you do generally can tell that you guys do enjoy what you do. Um, and I think that's really seen as a clinician, and I think it's seen as a patient from what Adam experienced. Um, the you know you had his life um, in your hands and you dealt with that um, in the in the best way that you know how to do, and that was awesome. So I think that's really cool. Um, any final words, Adam? Oh no, I, I just echo those thoughts as well. Like this this job is amazing. It's it's right for the right people, uh, and I don't think everyone's suited to this job. Um, I've had good friends come up to me and go, "Oh, how do I join?" And some of them I look at and go, "Yeah, no," and I make it sound as hard as possible. <laughs> so then they go, "Oh, something else," um, because I just know that their personality it just just doesn't suit. Mm. Uh, and that's not saying that. Their job's something else. They're, everyone's cut out for something, um, and it's just finding the right people for this. Yeah. Because you know, I've been blessed in this job. I just uh, the people I've met and the places I've been, um, some good, some bad. Uh, yeah, it, it will open your eyes up to a, a world that you didn't know existed. Mm. Um, and I had some advice given to me. Um, I said, "What do I need to join the job?" This was before I joined, and they said, "You need a driver's license, a first aid certificate." And you need to check your brains at the door because what you'll see and do, uh, no human being should have to actually do that. Mm. Um, but we do, and it's we love it, and most of us love it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that you you can prepare for. And I always say the hardest part about this job is not knowing what you're going to go to, but it's also the best part of this job because you don't know what you're going to go to. Uh, and it's one of those things that you can prepare and prepare and prepare. Um, but then it's three o'clock in the morning on a night shift. You, you're supposed to pull something out that you learned six years ago yeah. uh, and actually remember it at that particular point of time. Uh, and, you know, for some people, they love that and they thrive on that. Other people go, no, nah, that's not for me. Yeah. So it's finding what suits you in this crazy world we live in um, and going for that. Mm, I love I, they're, they're awesome words. Yeah. Hey, no, I want to take yeah. that one day. Um, what Adam said. <laughs> it was powerful, eh? I was just like, you know, and th- those things have still stuck with you to today. So oh, they yeah. must have been powerful enough to, to hold on to. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we hold on to things that are, you know, that yeah. resonate with our, who we are as people as well. Yeah. yeah for sure. and, and I think too, as paramedics, if you want an honest opinion, I regularly get messages of paramedics and my friends and they're always the most honest, I would say, <laughs> um, whether or not it's stop being a pansy or, you know, keep going or do this or do that. But I, I love that. And I think that's something that I've always found, you, you know, the honesty, which I think, you know, as Jen said before, being open and honest is such a great character uh, quality to have. Um, I guess one last thing in closing, resources, um, Jen and Harry, 
if we're looking at cardiac arrest and we want to learn about it or what would you use, what, where can we find some stuff that you re- recommend reading or, you know, where have you taken some good information from? Harry? Um, I think, yeah, come I on, Harry, you've just done exams, mate. For in terms of, like, public and clinicians, Restart a Heart does a lot of work. Um, I know they have, like, a, a yearly um, sort of, like, a Restart a Heart week where they go out and try and teach as many people CPR. But, yeah, I think just getting on board with um, knowing the basics of getting on top of, you know, early CPR saves lives. We know that keeping perfusion to the brain is, you know, one of the biggest things in cardiac arrest. And without, you know, a perfused brain, you, you end up with um, so much damage that it's, you know, the, the, the people aren't viable anymore. So early CPR and, and getting access to an AED, I think we're going to see in the future a lot of more sort of early access to AED, um, just programs like whether they get put on police cars or, as first responders or, or at service stations or whatever. But yeah, I think just having that knowledge of, you know, get onto CPR and a, a DFib as quick as you can and whether that means you do it via a first aid course or a CPR course or just have a look online, you know, it's not, it's not hard to learn and do. So, yeah, so that's probably the biggest thing, I think. Uh, Harry, were you listening to um, when you were doing it, Staying Alive, or was it the Baby Shark song, mate? I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't another one bites the dust. I can <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Glad to hear that one. <laughs> the Black Cloud plays no music. The Black Clouds listen to heavy metal. Bro. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Just had to add that in there. Um, and love it. I, Harry, you're a, I'm very, I want to say this too, you're quite a modest guy, like for your age and stuff, you, you're quite mature. And um, I mean, you have a laugh, you, you muck around, but I do want to add in there that um, there are some people that come into this job that can be, not being rude, can be, and in any job in emergency sort of services, like some can be very cocky um, and can come across as they've seen it all, know it all, and Jen added in before about life experience. I, I know a little bit about what you've done in life, but I do think wanted to add that in there. You, you're very measured, and I think that's a great quality to have as a young intensive care paramedic. And I think you're going to go to some great places with your job too, mate. Thanks, mate. That's very kind. Thanks so much for that. Cheers. I'm just bullcrapping. No, I'm joking. <laughs> very kind. <laughs> that was so little fine. scripted, bro. So no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and Jen, for you, um, resources. You, I call. It, I always say with you, Jenny, you're very um, you, uh, like unassuming. I always think too. Sometimes, like you'll you'll say something, and I'll just be like, bloody hell! Like I haven't even thought of that. Like yeah, like, you sometimes got that extra like think outside the box you're one of those people i always think that just has that you know it's like the backup plan you said before when you go into a job you've got the plan a and b everyone thinks of jen's got jen's got the plan c like i just always think that about you uh and i always thought if i ever was a paramedic and you're on a shift to be i know that like you'd always have someone's back Mm. um what are your resources and where do you go to with your um well thank you very much for that a lot of the time I suppose we've got a lot of um, resources that we, we for ourselves, have got access to um, at work. But I suppose for the everyday person, like you just need to be able to do a first aid course. Yeah. Okay. Um, everyone around should be um, know how to do CPR, and it's it's not hard. Any anybody probably at any age, talking not child, but should be able to um, <laughs> do CPR well. And you need to know to stay calm in an emergency, and you need to know. When to call triple zero, I suppose. Yep. Um, but like Harry said, Restart the Heart's a great program and I would just be looking at the internet. So there's a lot of new research coming out um, all the time um, and hopefully New South Wales Ambulance will be putting, I probably should, let's cut that out. They should be putting out research too when we when we get this um, evidence trial evidence um, up and running. So there's going to be a lot of new ev- um, evidence and research coming out shortly about um, cardiac arrest and, and what is the right thing to be doing so it's it's mm. progress from this point forward awesome. so let's hope that there's a lot more positive outcomes in the future there will be yeah it'd be great mm. awesome um thank you so much for your time all of you absolute legends i've thoroughly enjoyed um chatting with you yeah well thank you very much well, thanks for having us Cheers. Oh, you're legends i'm gonna just... can i just say something yeah, as well? just to finish i'd just like to say thank you not only to jenny and harry but there was a whole team of people from the the call takers that my wife spoke to to the dispatch that uh dispatched the appropriate resources to me <laughs> um and then right through to the teams at the hospital and and even the follow-up uh like the cardiac care people like the nurses and and rehab 
staff at the hospital. Like, they've just been amazing, like from, mm. from where to go, it's just been amazing. So um, thank you, especially to Jenny and to Harry and mm. to, to Scott and Cow. Uh, on the day and to, to Jason. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just been a, an amazing day and, and thank you to everyone on behalf of me and my family. Yeah, and it's awesome that we've got to see a, you've got a new lease on life. Like you have a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you do, you do. Like, you know, you, yeah, you yeah. technically, you, you had a, there was a spot where it could have been, not being rude, but see you later, we're going to Adam's funeral. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah. no, we're going to work with Adam on a job. It's... Yeah, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> very true and no it's, it's the best yeah yeah so, <laughs> so i just wanted to echo that so i feel privileged to be sitting in the same room thank you mm. so i guess this episode made me realize just how blessed adam is and how lucky he is uh to be alive and to be you know getting back in that ambulance um and just how crazy it is i think you know we do you know as the percentage shows that the ones we see generally we don't get back um, and it makes us realize the ones we do lose um, that we do think about those jobs and we do um, remember them um, and we do remember the conversations we have with family um, you know and I've been to we've all been to funerals of people that are young and we've all been to those and, and we're so blessed that we weren't going to Adams um, and we're so grateful that he's got time to spend with his family um, and we can reflect on that but also we can learn stuff as clinicians, like Jen said, we can learn, you know, how to debrief better. We can learn how to take things out of our job that we can improve on um, so that we give our patient the best possible chance for good outcomes. Um, and that's a wrap from the EDGM this week. Um, thank you to everyone who listens. Remember, you can find me um, on Instagram at EDGM underscore podcast. You can find me on Facebook. You can find my podcast um, on iTunes, Spotify, and all streaming services. I love to hear about what you're doing. I love to hear from you. Any feedback on episodes and how to get them better. I love to get your feedback as well. Um, I'm doing this just to, you know, for people to learn more things about critical care um, and to improve, you know, patient outcomes. That's why I love it. Um, so thanks for listening. Have an awesome day, you frothers. And if you see Adam around or Jen or Harry, have a chat with them. They're amazing humans and you can learn so much from people like that. You.